Welcome to a DerivSource podcast. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. And I'm Emily Fraser-Voigt, deputy editor of DerivSource. Today we're talking about RegTech, the buzzword commonly used to describe technology that helps financial services firms meet their compliance obligations. All firms on the buy and the sell side have been hit by a slew of new reporting requirements, which we've covered extensively here at DerivSource. One thing that has emerged is that the buy side now has to take more responsibility for reporting, most of which it had previously delegated to broker-dealers. The case for automating manual processes is clear, but the buy side is notorious for its love of Excel. A recent research report from IT Group called RegTech Reality Check, The Truth About Compliance Technology, revealed that only 2% of buy side firms currently have a fully automated compliance approach. In fact, despite the hype around RegTech and how hard vendors have marketed their products as RegTech, many buy-side firms are apparently still oblivious to the term. In this podcast, we are speaking to Virginie O'Shea, Research Director for IT Group and author of this report, and we talked to her about her findings and also to Mary Kopsinski, CEO and founder of Eight of Nine, a regulatory solutions company. Hi, Virginie. Welcome to the podcast. So let's start by talking about really why you think compliance automation is still so rare on the buy side. So I think one of the reasons that um, the asset managers have not automated is, is that they've been faced by so many different types of requirements. And I guess they do a lot of firefighting. So you get a lot of patchwork and chewing gum stuck together to to make it try and meet the deadlines that are coming in. Also, the buy side has been less liable for data. Um, They've been reliant on their broker counterparts quite frequently when it comes to reporting and things like that. So I'd say that's probably one of the reasons that it's so low. Hopefully that's going to improve over the next few years, because I think there's a lot of requirements that are making them reevaluate their current technology situation. Is that partly due to budget or is it something more of a lack of experience in that kind of investment? I think just because of the reliance on external parties that they just haven't had to build a lot of the connectivity that the brokers have. So the sell side really have had to be in the frame for most of this stuff. And the buy side hasn't even been able to check some of the stuff that's being reported for them. So now they, because they are liable, especially under MIFID 2 and, and Amir and things like that, they really have had to sort of think about it. Not that we've seen many fines. I think once you see fines that are being directly levelled at asset managers, that makes a big difference. Any ideas as to when we will start seeing some fines? Now, I've I've been asking people this every time I do research. So some people think it's towards the end of this year. Others are saying probably early next year. But I think we're not going to see a two-year gap like we did with MIFID 1. I think it's it's going to be much quicker. And the FCA in particular has been talking about enforcement. And uh, they have also been very active in talking to asset managers uh, over the last uh, 12 to 24 months uh, around MIFID. So I, I expect that they're probably keeping a close eye on what's going on. Thanks, Virginie. And Mary, from your experience working with securities and asset management firms, why do you think compliance automation rates are still so low? For many years, I have looked at the buy side to see whether or not they were interested in purchasing RegTech. And what I found is that the majority of the regulations that impact buy side tend to be one and done regulations. 
where you need to register as this new thing for the first time. And so it's a situation where the buy side can call a big four client or a really expensive law firm, have it filled out the paperwork, and then it's over with. So unlike the sell side and the big dealers, the buy side can set it up as a one-time thing. There are certain parts of their compliance that is regular. So, for example, here in the U.S., we have FINRA. If you're a FINRA-registered broker-dealer, you can expect somewhat regular exams. But each time, the exams change the topics and the things that they're looking for. So I found generally that the buy side, just as a business, doesn't have the same kind of requirements of repeat and and automatable tasks in the same way that the larger broker dealers do. Do the buy side firms you speak to have the budgets available to invest in red tech solutions or are there priorities elsewhere? And what areas have the strongest business case for investment? The areas where they're automating is things like trading platforms and speed of execution technical staff to deal with a different side of their business, when it comes to compliance, they're not really interested in making a massive strategic investment because there's really no value in it. And to put it in perspective, so when it comes to very, very large, like the top 11 banks, when they are doing regulatory automation and investment, they're dealing with problems that are in the order of magnitude of hundreds of millions of dollars that they're able to save when they can move to more of an AI or a robotic solution. When you get to broker-dealers and hedge funds, or even like some of the community banks, like uh, regional banks, their budgets for IT are more like $50,000 a year is a really big investment for them. And so when it comes to the service providers that deal with RegTech, the difference between being able to do a $10 million sale versus a $50,000 sale is huge. And so I think another issue that they have, in addition to their budgets, in addition to the fact that they're one and done, is that the service providers haven't made it to the point that we can reduce our prices yet. So we're able to build reg tech systems for the big institutions because they're willing to go in on the true development cost to build it out. And once those big players invest in it, slowly it will provide more flexibility for the service providers to charge less to bring it out uh, in mass scale. Now that's really interesting. These newer technologies like AI and robotics can clearly save firms a lot of money. For instance, broker-dealers can identify rogue traders, limiting their exposure to losses, lawsuits, and regulatory fines. The buy side tends to have a narrow focus and be more specialized in certain regions, jurisdictions, or products. Once they become more commoditized and the price tag does come down enough to justify the investment, how can these newer technologies like AI and robotics help buy-side firms save money in the long run? There's a rule coming out, or I think it's already out by now with the SEC, that is insisting on buy-side firms estimating their 
capital requirements and making sure that they have enough buffer and liquidity, which is pretty new for this industry. So buy side could sort of do whatever they wanted and they didn't need to worry about holding a side cushion. But now that they're supposed to hold a side cushion, there's things in their legal contracts with their broker dealers and with the various partners that they work with that sets, for example, the value of certain types of collateral and the haircuts in the industry of, of how much value you can get from uh, different ways money is moved around. And so if you throw in AI and natural language processing to read across your portfolio of contracts, you can save a lot of time developing the collateral optimization strategy where you can find the way to send cheapest to deliver collateral and save yourself money. It's not necessarily regulatory in the sense that there's a business value to you, but you also need to prove to the regulators that you're holding certain amount of money aside. And so rather than just do it blindly with Microsoft Excel and with your ledgers and books, you actually can enhance what you're able to do on a mass scale by leveraging existing technology. What about on the legal side of things? We're hearing a lot about smart contracts and how firms can now use technology to automatically scan or read documents. How will AI help firms reduce costs on the legal documentation side? If you think about what the financial world is doing is everyone is just negotiating contracts of money for money for money for money. And you put the contracts in some sort of Microsoft Word or text-based agreement in writing. And so lawyers are known to be just culturally Luddites in the sense that they're not really have not historically been into embracing technology. And then the problem with that is those legal contracts are the heart of exactly the rule sets of math and what applies. And so as computers are becoming much better at extracting and understanding human thought and language and rule sets, eventually everyone's going to gain cost savings in the fact that it reduces the number of lawyers that you're going to need to assess your position. That's great. Thank you, Mary. Virginie, have you seen much of an appetite for data science and the newer technologies like robotics in the compliance arena? When it comes to compliance, I mean, yes, on the, on the sell side, because they're offering services, there's more appetite for the newer technologies. On the buy side, not so much, because it really is just about making sure that you meet the requirements as they're laid out, making sure that you don't suffer reputational damages as a result of non-compliance. Now, one question we wanted to ask is about political change. Whether it's talk of Dodd-Frank repeal or what will happen in the UK and Europe after Brexit, there's a lot of uncertainty in the global markets. Mary, from what you're seeing, is this impacting how firms invest in their compliance departments? A hundred percent, yes. I have been in this industry in crisis. So I showed up in 2009 and that was the beginning of my career. So I've literally only seen this industry in crisis mode. What's been very interesting in the last couple years is on the U.S. side, uh, especially the U.S. side, you're seeing 
major regulations stalled and dialed back. And because of that, I'm immediately seeing cuts in budget without question, without hesitation, where they just walk in one day and they say, everybody go home. And there's a lot of tentativeness around what the strategic move is. So nobody's yet making strategic moves because they're waiting. And I think on the U.S. side, people are very unsure what's going to happen in the next two years. We were recently at a conference on Wall Street, and one of the questions we asked people is, what regulation is stressing you out the most right now? And I was really surprised to hear that it was the Volcker Rule. Because the Volcker Rule came out a couple years ago after the financial crisis and everyone complied with it and they stopped all of their businesses that were not Volcker compliant. They all build these wonderful Volcker systems that record whether or not a transaction is Volcker compliant. What the Trump administration and the various regulators are trying to do is they're trying to simplify and shrink the impact of Volcker rule, which in many respects is good for the financial institutions, they are worried about it because they're like, we just wasted all of this money and we're going to have to waste all of this money again to make sure we're not overdoing it on Volcker. In contrast, in Europe, you have MIFID II and GDPR that Europe, as far as I can see, is still 100% in crisis they are, without hesitation, investing a lot more on the reg tech side because they have no choice. Also, the regulators out of Europe tend to be much more prescriptive and mechanical. The U.S. may issue a regulation that is more conceptual, so it's not as easy to build perfect standard specs. So that's a difference between U.S. and Europe. And then when we talk about Brexit, I think the whole world is just waiting to see where the dust settles. So between options that England has to move forward, if they're going to remain a part of the EEA, if they're going to go like Switzerland, like what final route they're going to take. But I think similarly to the United States, there's some hesitation that this just might not be permanent, that this tide of populism that is sweeping the world right now, that it might run its course and then we go back to sort of the business as usual way that it was before, but nobody knows. So there's a lot of hesitation and there are people making Brexit plans and moving headquarters to be safe and cutting staff to be safe, but they're not doing it with certainty or fervor. That's for sure. It seems to me that everyone is investing in plan Bs, whether it is in the UK and Europe or in the US. There's just too much uncertainty and everyone knows they can't rely solely on a plan A. And I imagine it makes planning somewhat inefficient because they have to spend so much more time and money, of course, on this plan B. And going back to the reg tech space, Virginie, what do you think the chances are of compliance ever becoming fully automated? Is a fully automated approach desirable or even possible? 
I don't think you can ever fully automate anything, to be perfectly honest, right? If I think about it, there's always going to be some degree of manual intervention and you have to check things. I, I know that, the, as I was saying, like the AI and, and machine learning and all these tools are not really there to replace humans. They're there to augment what's going on in the compliance realm. I've seen regulatory change management tools, for example, they, they look at the actual text of regulations and suggest the operational changes that may have to be made, which is very interesting use of technology. It's piloted by a number of firms, but I don't think you could ever rely on it to tell you exactly what to do. So it's good to have a sort of a an augmenting technology next to a human, but I, I don't think we'll ever have full automation of anything to do with compliance or regulation. That's a really good point. The human touch is still needed, even in this world of machine learning and real-time automated data processing. Looking ahead, Virginie, how do you see things changing going forward? I mean, forward-looking, I'd say alphabet soup is still coming at us. So, I mean, GDPR is a big thing coming up within the next few months. I'm really fascinated to see what happens there, um, just because there's some points of conflict with MIFID 2 and, and GDPR in terms of forgetting data versus storing data, for example. And how does that impact, you know, which regulator is uh, monitoring you, you know, and for what? Um Obviously, SFTR is coming up as well. CSDR, the aspect, the final aspects of the this settlement regime is meant to be coming in. Uh, although we're seeing lots of things being pushed back, FRTB got pushed back again, so which is quite frustrating because many people had kicked off programs of work and they'd begun, you know, a year or so's work on those, and now they've put them on pause. How much longer are we going to have to wait before those get? finished and obviously once you've done something you know halfway through something and then it gets paused you have to kind of start again when it comes around to compliance states coming uh, closer to you so uh, it's almost wasted effort and wasted money um, that's gone into those projects and then obviously the ramifications of MIFID 2 I don't think we'll see until you know the full ones until you know, probably five years we'll, we'll see how how it's shaken the, the industry how we've seen sort of venues changing trading patterns behaviors changing um, different, you know, asset class mixes changing as a result of it. We will definitely be following all of these developments closely as those regulations come into force, and we will keep a close eye on what impact they will have on the day-to-day -day technology, operations, and more for all of our derivatives professionals and listeners. That's all that we have time for today. So thank you to Virginie O'Shea and Mary Kopsinski for your time and for your insights. And thanks to our audience for listening. To read more on this topic or to see a link to Virginie's report, please go to the show notes page on derivsource.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time.